So you cannot swing a stick in the New Testament without hitting a Herod. In fact, there are four. There are four different Herods in the New Testament, all related to one another, and all granted power or appointed by the Romans to be kings of one sort or another. The Herod we hear about this morning is the so-called Herod the Great, or Herod the First. This Herod is best known for his massive building projects, particularly for his great expansion of the temple in Jerusalem. But he also built pagan temples because he considered himself to be king of both the Jews and the non-Jews in his territory. And he did other things too. He developed water supplies for Jerusalem and built great fortresses and even whole cities. As you might imagine, Herod was also a shrewd politician. He came to power by securing the support of Mark Antony and the, and the Roman Senate against his rivals. But then, even as Mark Antony's star fell and Augustus of Caesar secured power as the Roman emperor, Herod was still able to gain Augustus's support and continued as a vassal king over Judea. While he was king, he knew how to, to make use of generous gifts to keep his superiors pleased with him. And yet, Herod was also tyrannical. Herod was brutal. He relied on oppressive taxation for all of those massive building projects and for those gifts to his Roman supporters. He also made use of secret police so that he might spy on his people and report so then so that they, those police might report any dissension or dissatisfaction. He suppressed any and all dissent and often made his opponents disappear. Herod even had his own wife and two of his sons executed, supposedly for political reasons. Indeed, we are also told in Matthew's Gospel that Herod tried to murder Jesus as a child. For when the wise men do not return to Jerusalem, Herod becomes enraged and sends troops, troops to Bethlehem to kill every child who is two and under. In any case, as our gospel lesson begins this morning, we should recognize that though Herod is subject to his Roman superiors, he is also the one in charge and in control of Judea. And as such, is it any wonder that the wise men go to Jerusalem to ask Herod about the child who is to be born king of the Jews? Doesn't it make sense that they go to the source of power and control in the kingdom? If they are looking for a child who is to be born king, who else should they turn to than to the king? And yet we know that this child who will be king, this, this true king, is not to be found in Jerusalem. This king is not to be found in the court or among the elite. This is not a king that is draped with power and might, at least not in the form it takes with Herod. 
Rather, this is a king who is to be found in an obscure and insignificant village, a king of simple and common parentage. His power, his power is of a different sort. By the world's standards, Herod is in command. But then again, in the history of the world, Herod is just another one of the world's petty despots. He joins the long line of thousands and tens of thousands of mostly men who come to govern the lives of others and believe that the true power comes from the ability to subjugate others and to hurt them and to kill them. His might is secured through clenching his fist and dominating others. In contrast to the power and the way of Herod is the power and way of God. Jesus will never have any of the power or prestige that Herod has. He will not command armies. He will not levy taxes. Jesus will spend his time with with outcasts and sinners and riffraff and not in a court of the elite. He will not reveal the power of violence, but instead the power of healing. His will not be a power that comes from egotistical control, but rather from self-giving love. He will not look to minimize the lives of others for his own gain, but rather will give his life as a ransom for many. He will advocate for justice and peace, and he will bid his followers to do the same. Today's gospel reading is the one that we associated with the Feast of the Epiphany, a feast day that takes place tomorrow. The word epiphany comes from a Greek word that means appearing or revealing. The Feast of the Epiphany is a celebration of Jesus Christ being revealed to the peoples of the nations. It is here with these wise men that we see first Gentiles, the first Gentiles coming to pay homage to Jesus. It is here that we see that the significance of Jesus is universal and that his birth and that his coming into the world is good news for the whole of humanity. And as such, this epiphany is also a revelation of God. Here, God is making God's self known to the world through Jesus. To see Jesus, then, to grasp this child, is to come to know something profoundly deep and true about who God is and about how God relates to humanity. For God reveals God's self to us in Jesus, which is to say, in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God shows us how deeply God is with us. In Jesus, God stands in solidarity with us and reveals just how much God wants to draw us into relationship. It is this solidarity, it is this relationship that is our salvation. And God does this purely out of gratuitous and grace-filled love. Because God reveals God's self to us in Christ, when we look at Jesus, then 
then we see what true power looks like. Jesus is the way that truly transforms the world. In Jesus, we see what true power looks like. But all too often, we think differently. We too often are enthralled by violence and and dominance in our society. And of course, this morning, I say all of this in the shadow of the U.S. drone strike on the Iranian general Qasem Soleimani, for all of the complexity of the issues, it is hard to see how this violence will make the world a more peaceful place. This violence strikes me as only, will only evoke retaliation. Indeed, the cycle of violence is just that. Violence will create violence, just as war creates war. We will not bomb our way to peace. We will not. We keep trying, and it isn't working. So then how many have to suffer and die before we see the bankruptcy of it all? How many lives need to be destroyed before we try a different path? Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. When will we embrace this witness? For Jesus invites us, and in fact, commands us to embrace a different way. Jesus bids us follow a path that leads to a different sort of life than the way of violence and domination. For if the life of Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God and God's ways, then his life will also reveal to us who we are meant to be and how we must live in order to live most fully. Herod, for all of his might, is missing the truly profound gift that is happening in his midst. He knows only how to fear Jesus as a new threat to his reign. He cannot step out of a worldview that is tied to the power dynamics of despotism and violence. Nor can he begin to understand what true power looks like, the true power of love. And yet the wise men, the wise ones, they can begin to wonder and discover. The wise ones can follow their star and listen to their dreams. They can come to find the one who offers a way beyond fear and a way beyond dominance and beyond violence and beyond war. This morning, we are asked to look at the contrast between these two, these two figures, Herod and Jesus. And frankly, we're, we're asked to choose. We're asked to choose who we will serve and what way of being in the world we will adopt. I pray this morning that we will draw near to Jesus and that we will pay him homage.
Amen.